Amen. Aren't you thankful that God is in the middle of our story, wherever it is, whether it's at the very high or at the very low, God is with us in the very midst of it. Well, for those of us who are here regularly on Sunday mornings, and I've met several first-time guests today, we're so glad to have you, but we typically are going through the, uh, the Gospel of Mark together on Sunday mornings. And the last time we were together, the Lord, the Spirit of God kind of rerouted us to flip Sunday night's message and Sunday morning, and uh, the Lord has done that again. So I apologize, don't apologize for it, but we always want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading and do exactly what He wants us to do. And so we are going to be in Acts chapter 8 this morning. So if you'll take your Bible and go to Acts chapter 8, and then... Uh, this evening at 6 o'clock, if you came this morning to hear the conclusion of Mark chapter 4, we invite you to come back at 6 o'clock tonight to hear the conclusion of Mark chapter 4, a great story where Jesus and the disciples, Jesus has another great lesson for the disciples in the middle of the Sea of Galilee as the storm arises. That's for tonight, and I would encourage you to come back as we finish Uh, Mark chapter 4. On Sunday nights, we've been going through a series we've called Resolve since the beginning of the year and just talking about some things in our life that we need to be resolved in. And um, this is one of the most exciting passages of Scripture for me. I've already been ministered and lit on fire by the music, so just put your seatbelts on, get comfortable. How many of you are excited to get into the Word of God this morning? This is the main reason why we're here this morning. The music prepares us for this. Uh, And so as I've been praying and getting texts and hearing from people in our church who have been sharing their faith this year as our theme is who's your one or who are your ones, uh, it has been such an encouragement to me as your pastor to hear of reports of many of you who are faithfully sharing the gospel with people, inviting people to church, and that is what it is all about. And as I was hearing messages this week and praying about our series on Sunday evenings, the Lord directed me to to this passage, which is a, a great and exciting passage. So if you're able, one more time, physically able to stand, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word as we begin in verse number 26 of Acts chapter 8. And it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias, or Isaiah the prophet, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip, he's curious, who is this that Isaiah is talking about, whose life was taken from him? And Philip said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? 
of himself or of some other man. He says, is Isaiah writing of his own self, his own death, or is he speaking of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him, what? Jesus. Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came up, uh, came up unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And notice what Philip did. He didn't just baptize him because baptism doesn't save you. Instead, Philip said, Before I baptize you, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, notice his response, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities, Till he came to Caesarea. Father, thank you for the wonderful privilege to open up your word and read it. And I pray that the Spirit of God today will make it come alive in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you will speak to us and challenge us. I do pray if there's anyone here this morning and they, like this Ethiopian, had never put their faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, that today would be that day that they settle that. I pray that the Spirit of God will draw them, that they will respond, and we pray, Lord, for that. I pray for many of us, Lord, who have done that, that we would learn today from the example of Philip. Give us courage, as you have so many in our church in recent days, to share the gospel with people. Help us to see the importance of it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Acts is a transitional book. It is transitioning us from... The actual earthly ministry of Jesus where he is here, he's now ascended back into heaven and he has given now the apostles and the disciples of Jesus the assignment to take the gospel to the world. And so now the Holy Spirit of God has come and he lives inside of all the believers. So it's transitioning from Jesus' Jesus's actual appearance here on earth to the Holy Spirit being in us as believers. It also is transitional because at the time of the writing, the canon of scriptures is not complete. The entire scripture has not been written. And so it is a transitional work. And because of that, there are some unusual methods that God uses that we might not see today, although we know he could. So if our mission team gets to Peru and all of a sudden they don't have to fly back, they just land here or somewhere else, we know God is still doing that. But that's exactly what happened to Philip at the end of this story. Man, he baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch and by the time he gets him up out of the water, Philip's gone. Time travel, he's out of there, he's on to the next place. So Everyone in the room today represents one of two people in this story. You either represent the Ethiopian in need of salvation. That is, you've never come yet to a place where you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation. And I have good news for you today, and that is that if you do come to him today, he will save you today. You either represent him or you represent Philip. 
The one that saw the need to share the message of salvation. Just to give you a little bit of background in Acts, in, in Acts we are reminded that God's purpose and plan has always been the scattering of the gospel. It started in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Let me just remind you what Jesus said as he was ascending back up into heaven. Here's what he told the, the apostles and the disciples. He said, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And notice how he talks about the spread of the gospel. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And as you read Acts, you see that like us, the church had trouble getting outside of Jerusalem. They were comfort, comfortable there in Jerusalem where God was doing something. Uh, they they kind of got in their holy huddles. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we're here together. We're huddled together. Man, God is doing something. We get to meet together. And so we're just happy right here. And so Jesus says, wait, I didn't, I didn't want you to just stay in Jerusalem. I wanted the gospel to spread to, Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and eventually to the uttermost parts of the earth. So since all of y'all are in your little holy huddles, I'm going to have to do something. And that is bring persecution to the church. And through the persecution that comes to the church in the early uh, chapters of Acts, the, the church is then scattered throughout the region. As we come to chapter 8 now, the church has spread outside of Jerusalem. It is moving into Judea and Samaria, and God is using persecution to make that happen. Perhaps you remember that in John chapter 4, Jesus had started something in Samaria. Do you remember that? He started it with a very immoral woman. It was the, the faith of an immoral woman who had been married five times, was living with the sixth man, but it was the seventh man that came into her life who was going to change everything. Because Jesus came to her while the disciples went into town to get some food, and he shared with her the gospel, and she put her faith in Jesus Christ, and she goes into the city, and she tells the, the men of the city, which I'm sure knew her very well, come and see a man that told me all that I have done. And in that moment, God planted a seed in that city that he comes back to now in Acts chapter 8. So in chapter 8, Philip the deacon has been ministering. I'm going to give you the first part of chapter 8. Philip the deacon has been ministering in Samaria. And listen, a great revival has come to Samaria. Many people have come to faith in Jesus Christ. God is doing something good. God is doing something big. You would say, Philip, you need to just stay put. I mean, you are right in the middle of where God has you and God is using you. But great persecution had resulted in great evangelism, which, as we see in chapter 8 and verse 8, resulted in great joy. And we're reminded here that God has not just put us uh, in a church to impact a church. Listen, he has put us in a church to use our spiritual gifts to impact a community. And literally to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in verses 9 through 25, and we don't have time to go into it tonight, but we see a counterfeit. We see an enemy that comes in dressed up in religion. His name was Simon. He was a magician. Magician. He attached himself to Jesus externally, but he was a counterfeit. And by the way, there's still counterfeits all out there on every corner, at every turn. And, and the enemy comes 
He, he, he's the counterfeit. Listen, they're in our churches. There's counterfeits that are in our seminaries. There are counterfeits that are in the religious broadcasting. There are counterfeits that are in publishing companies. And and so the enemy, Satan, he's brought doubt where God's people should be confident. He has brought compromise where God's people should be settled and should be standing. He has brought complacency to many where God's people should be fervent. Listen, Satan is very much involved in religion. Very much involved in religion. And we see that in the life of Simon. And then that brings us to verses 24 through 40 where we see the complete opposite of Simon. We see Philip who has authentic faith and a resolve to evangelize. And what this story reminds me as I see Philip leave a revival and go to this one person that God has laid on his heart. And the Spirit of God has said, you need to leave what's going on in Samaria and go to Gaza, the desert place, because there I have a person for you. It reminds me that the kingdom of God advances one soul at a time. One soul at a time as we share the gospel with people. And this is why we are to be intentional, church, about not just living our lives, not just coming in here on Sunday and worshiping, and then the rest of the week we just go to our jobs and we we forget about God until the next Sunday. No, God has called you and I, the church, every one of us, to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations and proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Invite people to where they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to see three things from the text this morning, and we'll just walk right through the text. First of all, I want you to see the preparation of the Spirit. In verses 26 through 29, we see that for genuine salvation to take place, there must be the work of the Holy Spirit in people's hearts. There must be a divine preparation. You see, we must not forget that salvation is initiated by God. Maybe sometimes you've heard somebody giving their testimony and we understand what they mean. They're doing the best that they can to explain what has happened to them. But you might hear them say something like, I found God. Well, the truth is that they would have never trusted in God, in Jesus, had God not been coming after them. God found them. They responded to the Spirit's work in their life. And thankfully, as we see in our text, by the power of God and the work of the Spirit Spirit of God, the glorious light of the gospel begins to shine into the darkness and reveal the truth of the gospel to this Ethiopian as he does still today in people's hearts and lives. We could go around the room and we could give testimony to this of how the Spirit of God uh, brought us to a place and opened up our hearts and opened up our minds to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see it all throughout Scripture. You remember the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He was a very religious man, but he was unsaved. And he came to Jesus as the Spirit of God was working in his heart. And, he, and here's what Jesus said unto him. You must be born again. You must be born, he says, of the Spirit. You must be born from above And then he says this about the Spirit of God. The wind blows where it wills, and we hear uh, the sound thereof, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You must be born of the Spirit of God. The Spirit must be drawing you, just like Zacchaeus, if you know that story. God was preparing his heart to hear the gospel. 
Just like Lydia, God is the one that prepared the soil of her heart. Listen to what the Bible says in John 6 and verse 44. No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Listen, I can't, I can talk you in to say in a prayer, but unless the Spirit of God is drawing you, then all you're doing is saying a bunch of words. And listen, for some of you, I know that God, the Spirit of God, for weeks or months or days or maybe even hours this morning, there's something going on inside of you and the Spirit of God is drawing you. And this morning, He has a very clear gospel message for you. And if let me just say that if you are here this morning or you're watching online and the Spirit of God is doing something in you, making you aware of your sin, making you aware of your need of a relationship with Jesus Christ, please do not put off what the Spirit of God is doing in your heart. It's the Spirit of God that draws us. It's the Spirit of God that convicts us. It's the Spirit of God that convinces us. It's the Spirit of God that softens our hearts. And we see the preparation of the Spirit. The second thing that I want you to notice is the presentation from the servant, who is Philip. And what stands out here about Philip is his submissive will to the Spirit of God. How will the world hear without messengers? You notice that he opened up his mouth. Listen, you can say, well, I I prefer lifestyle evangelism. I just am going to live out the gospel and hope that people will see my life and get saved. Listen, that's a great foundation, and it might initially draw someone to be interested in Jesus, but someone cannot be saved unless they hear the gospel. They hear the word of God. So you can live a life, but you got to open up your mouth and share what it is. It, what is it that's made the change in your life? And we see that here in Philip's life. You see, God's plan is to get the gospel around the world using his children as his ambassadors, as his representatives. And in our text, an angel comes to Philip to instruct him to go. But notice this, notice this. It's not the angel that goes with the gospel. It's Philip. It's a human being. It's an individual because that is God's plan. And it reminds us of this, that God uses human instruments. God uses us in our workplace. You see, it was Peter that preached in Acts 2 and 4. It was Stephen that picked up the preaching in Acts chapter 7 and was martyred for his message. And now it is Philip. And what is amazing to notice is that in chapter 8, Philip is preaching in Samaria. God sent this amazing awakening with many people coming. And now God calls him away to this one person. This one person who the Spirit of God has prepared him for this, this meeting. Listen, have you ever been prompted by the Spirit of God to witness to someone and it was as if they were waiting for you? That's what happened here. God had been preparing this man for this conversation as we see. And Philip reminds us that it takes great humility and great flexibility to be used 
by God in God's, God's way. I love these verses. Listen carefully, and I'm going as fast as I can. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Notice what Paul says. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Notice this, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Literally jars of clay. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. What is the treasure? The treasure is Jesus. You and I aren't the treasure. The treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he says, we are the earthen vessels that are used to share this treasure with the world. I love what Paul said what God said, I'm sorry, what God said of Paul in Acts chapter 9 and verse 7, 15. He says, he is a chosen vessel unto me to do what? To bear my name before the Gentiles. You see, an important thing about a vessel is that it's clean, that it's empty, that it is available for service for God to use. Paul writes in his last letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, but in a great house there are, are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. So you and I are vessels through which God wants to work. We are jars of clay. We're instruments. We are not the treasure. We simply show people the treasure. The treasure of eternal life. And I love the the first five words of verse 27. You ought to mark this. And he, speaking of Philip, arose and went. He didn't argue with God. Wait, God, maybe you don't understand what's going on here in Samaria. If you can't see, there's a lot of people being saved, and I'm the one preaching. I'm the one leading this, this movement. And it just, I mean, you, you understand I need to be here in Samaria. No, it was that quick, Jason. He arose and he went. He obeyed. He said, God, you know better than I know. Have you ever been in a situation where God said, I want you to witness to this person. I want you to invite this person to church. I want you to share the gospel with this person. And you said, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't understand. This person's not going to accept the message. Listen, God knows better than you and I know. You know what we need to do? Be obedient. Be obedient. All that God had to say was go. And even though it didn't appear logical, Philip obeyed. And down this desert road is where he runs into an Ethiopian eunuch who was the CFO of of Candace, queen to the Ethiopians. And the text says that he was sitting in his chariot and he was reading the Old Testament. He was reading Isaiah. Now, I want you to imagine for just a moment that you're in Washington, D.C., and you're visiting all the sites. By the way, it's a great place to go and visit a lot of things for free. Uh, but if you go there and you drive, you say you're just riding on your bike down by the White House, and all of a sudden you see this entourage of black vehicles that are coming by. And the Spirit of God says, I want you to get off your bicycle and go knock on the window of that black limousine. And I want you to talk to one of the president's cabinet members that are in there. That's the setup. Philip, I want you to go 
down this road in the desert, and when you get there, there's going to be the CFO of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, and I've prepared his heart. And I want you to look at verse 29 and 30. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near, join thyself to this chariot. And Philip said, I will later. No, what did he do? He ran. I love that. Philip ran to him. There's no hesitation. There is immediate and complete obedience. The Spirit of God has prepared the heart of this man for the gospel. And now, look, the servant is, is ready and willing and obedient to present it. Up to this point, this man was not getting the answers that he needed. And he was searching. He was on a journey. He had made this long journey to Jerusalem desiring to know the truth. He was no doubt at what they called a God-fearer. But he had not put his faith in Jesus Christ. He was religious. He no doubt went to services. But he had found in religion and ceremonies and rituals and formality, still an emptiness in his heart. Listen, there will always be an emptiness, although you may try religion and you may try a lot of things. There will always be an emptiness until you fill it with the only one who can fill it, and that is Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. He's weary of his idols. He's weary of this empty religion. And the Spirit of God is working in his heart. And he's seeking a a, a relationship. He's he's seeking something deeper than just religion. Listen to Psalm 119.2. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. Jeremiah 29.13. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with your whole heart. He's reading Isaiah, but not just anywhere in Isaiah. Where's he reading? Isaiah 53. The gospel given in the Old Testament, no clearer than Isaiah 53. This is where God has brought him in a prophecy about Jesus Christ, who Philip is about to tell him about, that was written Hundreds of years before Jesus actually came to earth, there was this prophecy written about Jesus in Isaiah 53, and that's where he is reading. And here is Philip now prepared to give him the gospel. I'm not going to read it to you this morning for sake of time, but I want you to go back this week because Philip gives part of it in Acts chapter 8. But I want you to go back and read the glorious gospel given in Isaiah 53. It's amazing prophecy about Jesus Christ coming and giving his life. Let me just give you three things here when sharing the gospel. Number one, we learn from Philip to point people to the scriptures. Let me say that again. Point people to the scriptures. Because my opinion doesn't matter and your opinion doesn't matter. But this, friend, is the living word of God and it has power. Faith cometh cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Point them to the scripture. Our presentation of the gospel is simply the presentation of scripture. So Philip asked him very diplomatically, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how could I unless someone guide me? Understand this is a man that's used to giving orders. He's used to giving instruction, not taking orders. Not taking instruction, but he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. 
And let me just say this, we can't properly present salvation without presenting the scriptures. Look at verse 32 again. The place of the scripture which he read was this. Point people to the scripture. Secondly, when you get them to the scripture, obviously you're going to point them to the Savior. Earlier in chapter 8, Simon the counterfeit wanted power. That's why he was attaching himself to Jesus. This man wanted the truth. Simon was willing to pay money for power. This man was desperate for the truth. He is hungry. He is humble. He is teachable. And Philip begins to explain to him that the man described in Isaiah 53, no, it is not Isaiah. It is none other than Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sins of the world, the one that you've heard about that just a few days or weeks or months ago died on a cross where they crucified him. That's who Isaiah 53 is speaking of. And if you will put your faith in Jesus Christ, his death and burial and resurrection, you, Mr. Ethiopian, can have eternal life. I love what it says. He preached unto him Jesus. <laughs> I love that he didn't start telling him about the revival in Samaria and how greatly God had used him. No, he simply preached unto him, Jesus, Jesus. All of the sermons and acts are about Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter two and verse two, Paul says, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And for all of us, we have the responsibility to point people to the Scripture, to point people to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't just come here to soak in knowledge. We don't just come here on Sundays for a motivational speech. We come here so that we will be energized, so that the Spirit of God will work through us throughout the week, church, to take the gospel to those that God has put in our path. And let me be direct. If we're not doing it, we're being disobedient. We've already learned that in our study of Mark chapter 4 and the soils. Point people to the scripture. Point people to the Savior. Thirdly, point people to salvation. Explain why Jesus was the lamb led to the slaughter. Why did he give his life? And let me tell you why he did it. Because I was a sinner and you are a sinner. And he came to take our place to atone for our sins. That's why he died. It's because you and I can't do it on our own. Uh, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. It doesn't matter how many good works you do. You'll never be able to work enough to get yourself to heaven. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. Listen, the question, church, is not can the world be reached with the gospel? The question is will it? Will the church be what God intended for the church to be in sharing the gospel with people. The preparation of the spirit, the presentation from the servant, and lastly, and we're done, the personal choice of the sinner. The personal choice of the sinner. Let me say this. One of the greatest gifts in God's creation was that he created man with free will. Even in a perfect world, He gave Adam and Eve a choice to choose right from wrong. 
He's given us a free will, and the truth is this morning that the Spirit of God can be working in your heart. Maybe he has for weeks and months. Maybe you've been sitting in these services for weeks and months, and the Spirit of God has been drawing you, and the Spirit of God has been doing something in you. And, and we've been sharing the gospel with you about this Savior who can take away your sins and how religion will not save you, only faith in Jesus Christ. But please listen to me. You can have both of those, but at the end of the day, the choice is up to you. The choice is up to you. Philip presented the message. He presented the gospel. But listen, the story could have ended where the Ethiopian said, thanks, but no thanks. Thankfully, it didn't. What we see here in verse 36 and 37, let me read it once again. As they went on their way, they came into a certain water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? This is where all those People who believe that salvation is by baptism, they're getting really excited in this story until the next verse. And Philip said, if you believe with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So first of all, we see that there was belief, there was faith. He had to put his faith in Jesus Christ. He had to put his faith in the gospel. And notice that baptism followed the faith as it always does in the New Testament. His choice was to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And listen, salvation is not complicated. In fact, the Bible says unless you come with a childlike faith, you can't be saved. You don't have to have it all figured out, but here's what you have to say. I believe not just that there's a God. There's a lot of people that believe there's a God. No, I believe Jesus is the son of God and that he died for my sins and rose victorious over the grave. That's what I'm putting my faith in. Not in religion, in Jesus Christ. There was faith. Secondly, there was obedience. Philip even taught him about baptism because when they came upon this water in verse number 36, notice where they were in the middle of the desert. There's not a lot. I don't know if you've been to the middle of the desert, but there's not a lot of water in the middle of the desert. But where this happened, just so happened. Just so happened. Coincidence. That in the middle of the desert, they are near Baptism, uh, near water. See, baptism signifies union with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. It symbolizes what you're putting your faith in. And it's very important, so important that here God allows this providential encounter to take place where there is water in the desert. And it says in verse number 39, there is joy, there is rejoicing. When they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord called away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. God snatches Philip up. He, he takes him, and as I was reading this, I thought, when he landed, Dr. Jonathan, I wonder if he was wet from the baptism. I guess we'll know that when we get to heaven. He takes him up, and he, he moves him. But listen, God had this man who's working in this man's heart, and he had one of his children one of his ambassadors on a mission who was obedient to share the gospel with this man and he came to faith in Christ. 
Irenaeus, who was an early church father, says that the eunuch became a missionary. And some Christians in Africa claim that this Ethiopian eunuch is the founder of the Christian church in Ethiopia. We're not sure of all that, but we do know that God used this encounter to move the gospel into the uttermost parts of the earth, to scatter the gospel. I'm finished. I'm finished. But I want to ask you this morning, very simply, have you, like the Ethiopian, has there been a time in your life where you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation? Can you go back and remember a time in your life where you put your faith in Jesus like this man did here? Where you forsook all other, you repented of all other, and you turned to Jesus Christ alone? If not, I hope you won't leave today without doing that because it's the greatest gift ever given to mankind and it's the most important thing on your to-do list today. There's nothing else more important than this. Doesn't matter what Simply Fresh is serving today. It doesn't. This is what matters. Eternity hangs in the balance of what you do with Jesus Christ. Secondly, if you have been saved... Are you faithfully presenting Jesus Christ to others? Do you, on a consistent basis, share with those in your realm of influence an invite, a message of Jesus Christ? Hey, let me just remind you today that Jesus loves you and he died for you. And if you'd ever like to talk about it, call the number on this card and someone would be glad to talk to you. As simple as that. The question is, are we doing it? It's not complicated. Come on. We've we've used that excuse too long. We're not too busy. That's a lousy excuse, isn't it? Too busy to share with people the only thing that matters in eternity? let's, Let's stop with all the excuses. Are we doing it? It's quiet because a lot of us aren't. A lot of us aren't. There's people that one day we will all stand before God and we will give an account, Brother Charlie, whether we shared the gospel with them or we didn't, whether we were obedient or disobedient. And they're, they're all around us. Some of them are living in your house. Some of them are right across the street. Some of them you see every day when you go through the McDonald's drive-thru or when you go to get gas or when you go through the grocery store line. You see them. You know them. You've had conversation. Hey, we live in a small town. You and I see a lot of the same people a lot, don't we? What are we doing with the greatest message ever given? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and Father, we praise you and thank you for all that you have done. We worship you. I pray that as we leave leave here today, even as we go throughout this community right now to different places, Lord, that we will grab some cards on our way out, that we will be sensitive and led by the Holy Spirit of God, 
to invite people to church, to share the gospel with people, the people that you impressed on our heart even during the message, maybe family members, maybe neighbors. I pray that we will not put off what you've put on our heart. And Lord, we pray that you will continue to send people here to hear the gospel, that you will continue to assemble the body here that you would have here to lift up the name of Jesus and proclaim the gospel through this community and throughout the world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You are dismissed.